electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hello, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Well, maybe it's not all doom and gloom out there. You're going to meet the multi-billion dollar CEO who says that Americans are spending all over the country and what he sees coming later on this year. Might have to buy some size 14s because Amazon's new CEO certainly has some big shoes to fill. We'll give you a look at the new man running Amazon. GameStop and AMC, listen up. If there's any company that knows about being attacked by hedge funds and short sellers, it is Overstock. And we're going to speak with their CEO about the battle they know all too well. And if you're short, good luck. OSTK is up a cool 1,000% in a year. All right, welcome, everybody. As always, so much to do. But as always, let's start with the markets and your money Seema Modi here now with the Exchange Rundown. How's it looking, Seema? Good afternoon, Brian. Three hours left in trade, and we are higher right now. The level to watch on the S&P 500 is 38.42. That was the intraday level high we hit earlier today. So we're trading right around those levels. The S&P higher by four-tenths of 1%. The Nasdaq higher by around a half a percent as focus remains on earnings tonight from PayPal and eBay, plus those stimulus talks in Washington. Uh, a big deal in the healthcare space we want to point to, Jazz Pharmaceuticals buying GW for $7.2 billion. This is a cash and stock deal. Uh, GW, best known for its cannabis products, recently receiving FDA approval for a CBD-based epilepsy treatment. You can see shares are higher by 46%, and this deal is also helping other cannabis CBD stocks move higher. The key ETF to watch there is ticker MG. You can see higher by 11% today on this deal. Other stocks that are working today, uh, some are in, on the earnings front. Alibaba higher by 5%. By the way, the Chinese tech firm also raising $5 billion in the debt market. And then there's travel. Carnival, Airbnb, and Expedia moving on. Vaccine optimism. Carnival higher by 4.5%. Brian, I'll send it back to you. Hey, before I let you go, Seaman, don't worry, no honey badger comments here, but you cover the travel industry. You talk to the cruise lines. Any indication of when the cruise ships are able to, you know, cruise again? Yeah. Do we have any dates planned? So here's where we stand with the cruise industry. We're expecting uh, cruise lines to resume operations sometime in late March, early April, but it all comes down to the CDC, Brian. They have to provide that, that guidance and that green light for cruises to return. So wait for that. All right, Seema Modi looking at the market. Seema, thank you very much. All right, well, the GameStop saga certainly has turned a lot of attention back to the concept of short selling, particularly how one company can have really more than 100% of its stock, its float, bet short. But if there is one company that knows exactly what is going on, it is overstock. For years, they felt relentless attacks by hedge funds and short sellers only to come out and come out stronger. Stock has nearly doubled in just the past month, despite soaring nearly 600% last year. But you may not know it's also benefiting from big and its investments in blockchain and crypto, even launching an exchange, T0. Let's talk about it all with Overstock CEO, Jonathan Johnson. I, I've, I'm, Jonathan, welcome. I'm having flashbacks uh, of long conversations with uh, your former CEO, Patrick Byrne, for years dealing with 
Rocker Partners and, you know, all these short sellers just relentlessly coming after you guys. If you were going to have a conversation with the CEO of GameStop, and maybe you have, what would be your advice? Well, you know, my advice to the, I'm not in the business of giving advice to CEOs, but I would say, you know, keep performing. Uh, talk to the SEC about whether there are uh, is manipulation, whether there are fails to deliver. What I really think this GameStop uh, and AMC situation shows is we still have problems in the plumbing of Wall Street. There's no reason in 2021 that trades need to settle at T plus two, trade plus two days. Trades should settle simultaneously. They should settle at T plus zero. And blockchain technology really facilitates that. And two of the companies that we've taken ownership interests in, T0 and Piernova, uh, allow for instant settlement. That's something that I think GameStop should be promoting. I think it's something the SEC should be looking at. No need for T plus two anymore. And what's, what's the stumbling block? I, I'm going to just take a wild stab, Jonathan, that it's not technology. It is money. Well, money look, is the I reason. think it's... I think it's money. I think it's I think it's regulators being slow to push this. Technology has caught up to the place where you know we're no longer have bicycle boys driving around Wall Street delivering stock certificates, and the DTCC I think can facilitate this. Uh, what we need is we need the regulator regulators to be uh, more interested in ensuring safe and fraud-free markets uh, than in than in worrying about you know, what uh, what hedge funds may think and what it may cost them if we go to T plus zero. But what was, so so for the uninitiated, and by the way, I, I mean, I'm not exactly a pro on understanding how that works as well. And the Robinhood CEO, I thought, put, a, put an opinion piece out yesterday arguing for the same thing, sort of real-time settlement. What does that two-day lag between the trade and the settlement do? How does that alter or affect or twist the markets? Well, uh, one, it makes it difficult for uh, companies like Robinhood to uh, have the right amount of money uh, to secure the trades. But more importantly, it allows you know sophisticated traders to locate or think they may be able to locate a stock, uh, trade it short, sell it short, and then they may not be able to locate the stock. And that results in a failure to deliver, which is how companies like uh, GameStop wind up getting more float out there than they've stock issued. What we really need is for the SEC to say, look, if you're going to short a stock, there should be a hard pre-borrow requirement. Borrow it before you sell it, not hope that you can borrow it, hope that you can locate it before you go out there and sell it. And, and you're, so you're not saying don't short sell. Don't, you know, some people that are now like, we got to outlaw short selling. I mean, they do that in China and other markets. I mean, that doesn't work. So you're not anti-short selling. You just want the process changed. Let me, let me transition, though, if I can, Jonathan, because there's a lot to talk about. Your stock is just rocketed. Why was it important to take 18, I think it was 18 companies that you had an interest in, in either blockchain, crypto, or other parts of that ledger, why was it important to roll 18 companies into a venture capital fund, T0 in exchange? What does that do to unlock the value of, of Overstock? Well, uh, like you mentioned, we've got 18 companies that are part of Medici Ventures. 
what we've done is we've partnered up, partnered up with a great venture capital firm, Pelion Ventures. Uh, when this deal closes, they will provide the oversight to these companies. We realized these companies had, be, had gone beyond the seed stage. They needed someone with the expertise in uh, helping get product to market, technology product to market, finding uh, uh, the right investors to help them grow. Uh, who better than a venture capital firm that does this every day, all day, uh, and knows how to do this? And, and it allows Overstock to focus on our core business of e-commerce and selling home furnishings online, something that's been very lucrative for us for the past year. Yeah, it certainly has. And how, how do you differentiate yourself from an Amazon, you know, which, I, by the way, we're going to talk about in a second because they've got a new CEO. You probably know Andy, by the way. How do you differentiate yourself from Amazon and others? How do you win? Well, we think we play in a unique quadrant of the market. Uh, unlike Amazon, we're not a general merchandiser. We focus on the home furnishings market. Uh, and unlike uh, Wayfair, another worthy competitor, we're not focused on inspiration. We're focused on smart value, bringing our customers, you know, what they want, what she wants for less and at a great value. So we think the quadrant of the market where we're playing, there's still a lot of green space uh -huh. for us to grow. And that's what we've been doing. Yeah, I know you got earnings coming up. I, I don't know if you're going to answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Can you give us an update on where you stand with a government contract awarded, by the way, with Amazon and Fisher Scientific that could represent a couple billion dollars in sales? Where where are you on that? So the government contract uh, we we launched in uh, August of last year. Uh, it's you know still going slow. It seems to be moving at the pace of government more than the pace that we the internet pace that we'd like to move at. Uh, but we're still hopeful on that. And we've, we'll be announcing our earnings on the 24th of this month, and we'll talk about it a lot more then. Jonathan Johnson, Overstock CEO. Jonathan, we appreciate you coming on. A lot there, and you're taking me back to the days of, I don't know, 15 years ago when these fights are raging on, and here we are yet again. Jonathan, take care. Best to you and your team. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right. Take care. Well, all right. To the news now that really rocked the business wires last night. Jeff Bezos, you might have heard of him, stepping down as CEO of Amazon and Andy Jassy will take over as CEO. The question is, though, who exactly is Andy Jassy, who will now be running arguably one of the most important companies in the world? Well, John Ford is here because he has spoken to Andy Jassy numerous times over the years and maybe can provide some kind of window and insight into how he may be the same or, or different, John, than this Bezos character. Well, I can't uh, claim to know them so intimately as to tell you exactly how they're the same and different, but I have spent a lot of time with Andy Jassy over the years. And it's interesting, Andy, Andy grew up with Amazon, and Amazon with him, he joined back in 1997, pretty much straight out of grad school. And he uh, took on a role as Jeff Bezos' chief of staff a few years after that. The, the role 
was kind of undefined when uh, Jeff Bezos offered it to him. Andy Jassy was telling me at first he turned it down because it wasn't clear how important the role was going to be or how focused it was going to be on core strategic issues. But he and Bezos went back and forth and sort of crafted this role, which was really going to be Jeff Bezos' right-hand man in meetings with him, helping him prepare for meetings, helping other people prepare for meetings with Bezos, and really having a voice in some of those key meetings about Amazon's direction and strategy. And then about 15 years ago, Andy Jassy had the idea, hey, what if we started AWS or what became AWS? What if we rented out uh, access to our infrastructure to other companies? And that idea just grew and grew. And so, you know, over the years, Brian, as I've talked to Andy Jassy, some things that stand out are the consistency in his message, his focus on process and sort of kind of day in, day out, year in, year out, saying, hey, we're going to develop our own database. We're going to reduce our reliance on Oracle. We're going to do away with Oracle and our system altogether. They've done that. They've built their own server infrastructure. Now they're designing their own chips. They're growing the capabilities of those chips. Just, you know, methodical, consistent, And now he's bringing uh, that sense, which he's gotten from Amazon overall, having worked on the company overall. uh, He's bringing that from AWS now to being CEO of Amazon as of mid-year. We just showed video, John, of Bezos in the early days with his desk, you know, his his door desk on Netscape. I mean, (laughs) that'll take you back right there. There he is. Look at that. The world's biggest bookstore. Does this move highlight that AWS... I don't want to say is the future of Amazon, but it but exemplifies how important that business is to the company. I assume there were other people, or maybe there were no other people that that were even being talked about as possible successors. Well, I, I think it does exemplify that, Brian. I think that's totally fair. I, I think um, a year ago, if you had asked who's the next CEO of Amazon if Jeff Bezos decides to step aside and become executive chairman. You would have mentioned Jeff Wilkie as well. He, of course, announced at the end of last year that he was going to require retire. No, no sense of whether he had wind of the idea that a transition was coming and that uh, he, he wouldn't get the nod in this case. But um, I, I think definitely the importance of cloud, but Mm -hmm. also the importance of the kind of innovation invention that AWS has brought, the the fact that they've been able to stay in the lead despite all of the challenges that they've gotten from the most powerful companies in tech. I think all of that speaks to um, what Andy Jassy has been able to do and what certainly uh, probably Jeff Bezos and investors in Amazon hope he will continue to do. Like last quarter, beating the consensus Wall Street sales numbers by three and a half billion. Amazon's quarterly sales beat was larger than the annual revenues of Twitter or Discover Financial. It's one of the most unbelievable quarters I probably you or I have seen in years. John Fort with a behind the scenes look at Andy Jassy. We'll look forward to your future conversations. Hopefully he won't go hiding under the desk like nah. Bezos has, and at least as far as media, right, John? Take care, buddy. <laughs> I'll see you, Brian. (laughs) All right. On deck, what is the real state of consumer spending in America right now? The CEO of Visa joins us for a rare interview coming up. Plus, what is driving the recent stock rally? Is it Reddit? Is it earnings? Stimulus? Is it D? All the above? We'll dig into just that and get some single stock picks just for you. We're back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back. Well, there are a lot of questions about how the American consumer, the American family, is really doing right now. Of course, millions are out of work. The hospitality industry going through what can only be described as a true depression. But for tens of millions of other American families, they've actually been saving a lot of money. They're not traveling. They're not commuting. They're not going out to eat or at least going out much. And few companies know what's really going on as well as Visa. They don't talk much, but when they do, we listen. Kate Rooney joining us now with a special guest. Kate. That's right, Brian. Visa reporting Q1 results just last week. It topped expectations on revenue and earnings. The payments giant did see strong debit and e-commerce trends, although revenue did decline year over year. Uh, That's thanks to weak international travel during the pandemic. Visa also announced an $8 billion buyback. Today, Visa is pushing further into digital currencies with plans to help banks roll out Bitcoin and crypto trading. And Visa is still looking to push into fintech after its $5 billion deal with Plaid was called off. That came after some pushback from the Department of Justice. Joining us now to talk about all of that, Al Kelly, CEO of Visa. Al, great to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Kate, it's a pleasure to be with you. I do want to start with earnings. You guys came out with Q1 results last week. Walk us through, like Brian mentioned, how the consumer is doing at this point during the pandemic. Where are people spending their money? What does that mean for the broader economy and for Visa's business? Happy to do that, Kate. The one thing I'll remind people is that the last quarter grew over uh, a pre-COVID-19 quarter. So as I talk about these numbers, it's important for the listener to bear that in mind. But what we what we saw was actually a, a quite a strong holiday season led by uh, debit and e-commerce. So uh, e-commerce volume was went crazy, and most of it in retail. A lot of the spending that people would have done normally on, on traveling for a vacation or to see families, uh, that money was redeployed into uh, retail purchases. Uh, many of those purchases made with debit cards instead of credit cards. Uh, and that's a, that's been a big change because of COVID. Uh, we're seeing an incredible acceleration in the displacement of cash as a option as people worry about whether cash actually uh, carries uh, uh, germs. And domestic volumes pretty much around the world perform pretty well. We were up 19% in uh, the Middle East and Africa. We were up 16% in Latin America. We were up 8% in the United States. Uh, we were up 5% in Europe. Uh, we were down a little bit, down 8% in Asia, but if you exclude China, uh, we were we were flat. So uh, the consumer, particularly in the countries that celebrate the holidays, really, really uh, turned to e-commerce and, and spent a lot of money in retail. Interesting to see that on digital payments. I want to ask you about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. So Visa's announcement today is essentially a crypto software program. What's Visa's role going forward in this whole ecosystem if the point is really to be decentralized and they say that they don't need traditional payment rails? Um, how does Visa uh, p- fit into that, that bigger picture here for crypto? 
Well, we're an enabler and we don't pick winners and losers. And to the degree that uh, crypto becomes a accepted form of uh, exchange for buying goods and services, we want to be there. We look at crypto in two categories, Kate. There's first uh, the Bitcoin, which typically is something that people buy more as an investment. And then there's cryptocurrencies and central bank digital currencies, which we see as potential for making purchases. And what Visa brings to the party is it quickly will enable a user or an owner of a, a cryptocurrency or a, a, a something like a Bitcoin and be able to convert that, that currency into a fiat currency on a Visa credential and then immediately allows them to spend at any one of the 70 million places that Visa is used around the world. And so we are working with 35 different wallets around the world, much more than any of our other competitors, where we are enabling people to convert that digital currency uh, to a fiat currency and then go spend it immediately. So it, it provides uh, enablement of uh, people being able to make purchases and, and helps complete that last mile for somebody who wants to actually buy we did make an announcement today about a set of crypto APIs. Those are based basically uh, a new tool that will make available to financial institutions who don't have the capability to facilitate crypto on their own. We, in essence, are creating an on-ramp that would allow a bank through its website or through its mobile app to, to facilitate the uh, connection to Anchorage Bank, basically a custodian bank for digital assets, to facilitate for their customers sure. the ability to buy, trade, and custody uh, uh, Bitcoin. Got it. Al, I do want to ask you about um, fintech. The Plaid Visa deal was massive at the time. That was a $5 billion deal. Both companies have said that that was mutual, that the idea to walk away from that in, in the midst of the DOJ pressure. Um, any comment on reports that Plaid really walked away because of its valuation, that it was much higher than what Visa would have paid a year ago now. And what is what's next for Visa in terms of fintech? Is it more M&A? Uh, what are your plans there? Well, that that rumor is uh, completely false. Uh, we've had incredible collaboration with Zach Perret and his team at, at Plaid from the beginning until that decision. Uh, I talked to Zach a number of times myself about it in the last days where we were make, trying to make a decision. Where, where both firms, uh, Zach can speak for himself, but both firms are, are, would have loved to have come together, but it was simply proving to be way too time-consuming and going to just take too long to happen. We still certainly have interest in, in, in partnering with Plaid, uh, and we have a very, very uh, established track record at this point, uh, Kate, in the fintech space. Uh, we have 50% more partners today than we did 18 months ago. Uh, we have a fast track program that uh, does away with our bureaucracy of the of the past and allows these fintechs to connect with Visa very, very uh, uh, quickly. Uh, these fintechs are adding tremendously to our network. They add to our network. Some of them are issuing Visa credentials. Some of them grow uh, our acceptance footprint. Many of them bring new uh, uh, customers to our, our network or our network of, of networks. So we... we continued and will continue to work very, very closely with, with fintechs. As I said earlier, uh, everybody's welcome on our network. We don't pick winners and losers, and we're just as happy to have up-and-coming organizations as we are the, the biggest and most traditional and, 
and important banks in the world. Got it. Well, Al, we'll have to leave it there, unfortunately. But thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, Brian, I'll send it right back to you. Uh, great interview to Kate Rooney. A lot of news coming out of the Visa CEO. Kate, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, GameStop apparently taking a page from the old saying, don't let a good crisis go to waste. What it's doing now that is turning some heads. Plus, the GOAT index. No, it's not Tom Brady launching another product. It is the get out and travel stocks, G-O-A-T. More Americans maybe getting ready to do just that. We'll tell you why we say that coming up. And we comb through the fine print of the latest stimulus to get an answer to a question that many are asking. Who really will benefit from the bill? Most of all, talk about all that coming up. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Well, maybe it's the pause that refreshes. I mean, after a whipsaw last couple of days and weeks trading the markets right now, We're acting pretty rational and calm. We are in the green, not by a lot, but all three major indexes are up as far as groups go. Energy and communications are jumping. Oil prices, by the way, are higher. The biggest laggards, real estate and healthcare. There's your market outlook right now. Energy, everybody loves oil and gas. We're back. All right. Well, in fact, now we're going to get a news update. I didn't mean to cut you off, Sue Herrera. <laughs> Let's get a news update and see what's happening outside. The, you know, I always enjoy seeing you, even if it's Thank you, remotely. Brian. And here I try to dump out. Right I mean, back at you. <laughs> Good to see you, Brian, as always. Here's what's happening at this hour, everybody. A top Democrat says the House of Representatives will vote tomorrow to remove Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments for her embrace of conspiracy theories and violent racist views. The Canadian government has designated the Proud Boys group a terrorist entity, citing their role in the Capitol Hill riot and other protests. The move makes making donations to that group or purchases of Proud Boy paraphernalia a crime. The Justice Department has dropped its discrimination lawsuit against Yale University. The suit was brought under the Trump administration, alleging unfair treatment of Asian Americans and white applicants. U.S. Secret Service agents and Spanish law enforcement have shut down a credit card scam that bilked over $14 million from 30 U.S. banks. More than 100 people have been apprehended. Officers confiscated cash, jewelry, cars, and, of course, credit cards. You're up to date, Brian. I'll send it back to you. All right. I do appreciate that, Suhara, and thank you very much. All right, so much left to do as we turn the corner on the hour. What do stimulus and the Reddit-fueled rally in some stocks have in common? Well, we've got some answers to that question. And as we head to break, do not forget that February is Black History Month. We are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. And here is New England Patriots linebacker Brandon Copeland on the racial wealth gap and the importance of financial literacy. 
There's a reason why this NFL player decides to take his off seasons and go back to his alma mater just to teach a course on financial literacy. The lack in access to information has caused the racial wealth gap over centuries. It's time that we finally put an emphasis on financial education in our schools throughout the country, but specifically in black and brown communities. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Well, don't look now, but February is starting to look pretty good from a market's perspective. Yeah, we're not doing a whole lot today, but the S&P 500 remains on track for its best weekly move in three months. You got earnings that have come in strong, especially in the big cap tech stocks. Stimulus may be on the way of some size, but it's likely coming. And the vaccine rollout is going pretty well, and new cases are down 40% around the United States in the last two weeks. So how to invest in and around all of this. Joining us now is Sandy Villery, co-portfolio manager of the Villery Balance Fund, and Jason Brady, president and CEO of Thornburg Investment Management. Sandy, first two, you got to be loving this time from a, from a fund manager's perspective because what we're learning is small caps, your space, are doing well, and it's kind of become a stock picker's market again. You and I have talked about this company, Pool. Guess what? They're in the pool business. You loved them years ago. You still love them. How come? Yeah, so um, it, it, it really is a stock picker's market, which has been just um, a nice, to, nice turn of events for us over the last couple of years. And so a company like Pool did quite well through the uh, stay at home uh, you know, period. And I would say that even today, you look at their sales, two thirds are you know, just refurbishment and, and maintenance of your swimming pool. So it's not unlike a utility or a telecom. You're not going to fill your pool in. You're going to continue to treat it with chemicals. And these guys, while it's boring, they just continue to do well and put up good numbers. And every time a new pool is put in, and there's going to be 90,000 this year probably, you got to repair um, wow. and, and refurbish that pool every seven to 10 years. I mean, that, so that, we, that's we like the one thing. You could not get a pool, a person to put in a pool. Everybody that we talked to, the Visa CEO, everybody who could was saying, okay, I'm going to make my home as good as possible. It's a three or four year backlog in certain areas to get pools. Jason Brady, we talk a lot about the U.S., as we should. We're based here, but we are a global financial network. And you believe while the U.S. looks good, there might be some better opportunities in emerging markets around the world. Specifically, where are you looking? Sure. So I think one key in investing in emerging markets is really to maintain maintain balance. What we don't want to get into is we're going to you know be all in on growth, we're all in on value, not just in emerging markets, but anywhere. We take a couple of names that actually have aspects of both. One, Taiwan Semiconductor, obviously participating in some of the growth uh, growth in, in technology, being part of all of our lives, really a dominant producer, but a bit of a cyclical name over time. On the flip side, something you would think of as very cyclical, which would be Azul, a Brazilian airline. But it's actually a quality business, hmm. about 70% of the routes that they only fly. So two names that look really different actually have aspects of both growth and value and together in a portfolio can be really interesting. Yeah, Latin America, Azul, we're watching that. One more to you, Jason. A lot of people talk about the, the ex-China-Asia trade, the Vietnam's, the world supply chains movement. Are you a buyer of that? Look, I think China is still a, a dominant player in, in the global economy and in the global supply chain. But there's no doubt that companies are diversifying that supply chain. And China is so large, even small percentages moving away from that supply chain, not just to, to Asia and other places in Asia, but also to places like Latin America can be really valuable. So, yes, it's it's a definitely a theme. It's really all part of uh, distributed global growth. And then, Sandy, back to you. Caesars Entertainment, okay, the casino company. I, but you, you've owned it for a while. The stock has soared. 
the sort of the get out and travel trade that we've talked about has has done well. Are you looking to trim a little bit with this huge gain in the name? Or do you believe that even at these prices and this gain, that there's more room to run in CZR? Yeah, I, I think this could be a triple digit stock. And, and this is one we want to be involved in some of the, uh, you know, open up the economy type of names. And these guys can control expenses so well that, you know, even at, at, at you know, occupancy levels that may not be, you know, completely full, um, their their profitability and margins are just expanding. So I love Tom Reeg as a, as a manager. He's done a great job historically. And uh, and then their acquisition of William Hill, $3.5 billion. Um, this is going to be one where they can get into the online gaming uh, aspect of things. And as municipalities struggle, uh, you know, and look to legalize gaming, uh, that's just going to be another another tail, uh, uh, sorry, uh, you know, just another um, tailwind for them. So I, I think it's going to look pretty good. And I'd, I'd, uh, I think it's a triple digit stock. Wow. Triple digit stock on Caesars. You like pool. Jason likes Azul and some of these other emerging markets. Great discussion, guys. Right to the point. Sandy Villery, Jason Brady. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Thanks, Brian. Longtime short seller Carson Block telling CNBC Pro that the crazy trading and wild spikes and all the meme stock shows just how fragile parts of this stock market may be. You can listen to the whole interview with Carson. Always interesting. At CNBC.com slash pro. Sign up today. All right, coming up. GameStop's new C-suite hire. Travel is coming back. And Netflix and Nap. Yeah, that's all coming up at today's Rapid Fire. Stick around. All right, it is time now for Rapid Fire, hitting a few big stories and some fun ones that need to be on your radar. Today, it's all about GameStop, travel, and how Netflix is trying to save us from ourselves. Here now to enter the arena, Julia Borston, CNBC.com tech editor Steve Kovac, an Ed Lee media reporter for the New York Times, and a CNBC contributor. They're smiling now. They won't be at the end. All right, first up, GameStop. And it's not just about the wild stock price. The company announcing three new executive hires. Company appointing former Amazon Web Services engineering lead Matt Francis to its newly created chief tech officer position. Francis will oversee e-commerce and technology functions. GameStop also hiring a senior VP of customer care and VP of fulfillment. Shares of GameStop turning higher this morning. The stock, by the way, remains super volatile. Ed Lee, to you. I mean, the old adage, never waste a great crisis. I'm just thinking GameStop's <laughs> name, whether in a good way or bad way, they got a lot of publicity. They're trying to take advantage of it. They are definitely trying to take advantage of it. I mean, this move, um, and look, I think Cohen was the guy who, who, who bought into the stock with the idea that, hey, if this company can actually figure out the e-commerce side of things and delivery side of things, it might have a way to go up, which is... Not the long thesis that we saw on Wall Street bets. The that long thesis with the you know the DFW guy. I mean that guy. He was really talking about the the, the explosion in, in more consoles and more console games. That's not really where the upside is. The upside is going to be in delivery, in more digital downloads. And I think if they really make that work, it might actually achieve the value. I mean not not where it's trading now, but you know that there's real upside. And I think that is actually interesting and is a real yeah. plan that where you know finally fundamentals might mean something. Julia Borston, you probably got breaking news on the the, the 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 imminent GameStop movie and or series, but what do you make of this move? 
Uh, look, I think that this is exactly why Ryan Cohen bought it. This was his plan to try to figure out how to turn GameStop from brick and mortar into what he called to be more like the Amazon of video games. Now, I think GameStop does have this advantage in that they have all these people, millions of people in their loyalty program. So they have this audience they might be able to convince to buy things online from them instead of just thinking of them as a place you go to stand in line for the latest game. Because, of course, Brian, that's just not the way games are really distributed yeah. anymore. No, but but Steve, you got to get people in the stores. That's the challenge. I mean, of course, you got a pandemic too, but now people might poke in and say, oh, I hear about GameStop, and what, but what exactly is it? Haven't been in a store in a couple of years, and maybe they like what they see. Yeah, and that's going to be the big challenge with this strategy, Brian, is the way we buy and purchase video games has is really shifting from you go to GameStop, you trade in your old game and get a new physical copy all the console makers are moving to a digital download model or a streaming model like we're seeing with Google and Microsoft. Mm -hmm. So I'm really confused. Unless they have their own app store or something like that, how does GameStop really capitalize on this next wave of the way people access the games? Well, that's they, why well, they hired the guy. You, maybe you just use it as a showroom type yeah. thing. You convert to digital. You got people to come in to play the game so they know what they want to download. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. By the way, Julia... Adam Driver as Vlad Tenev. Can you see it? I can see it. It could be good. Make it happen. Well, you know what, what Brian, is there Turning will be so many versions of that story told by Hollywood. You can cast many versions of it, Brian, and I'm sure some of those actors that yes. you pick will end up uh, playing those roles. Yes. And to play the role of Dave Portnoy, I choose Dave Portnoy. All right. Turning now to travel. <laughs> Finally, there may be reasons for the industry to be optimistic about this year. A new survey from the American Hotel and Lodging Association and Morning Consult shows 56% of consumers report they are likely to travel for fun, leisure, or vacation this year. It's actually not down too much from an average non-pandemic year, where about 70% of us take a trip. Coincidentally, we showed it to you the GOAT trade, get out and travel solidly in the green today. And, you know, listen, without getting into it too much, Ed, uh, I posted a poll on my Twitter. People could still respond. When do you plan to take your first four fun, a lot of people wrote they already have. When do you think the Lee family shall be hitting the road? Hey, look, the Lee family, we love to travel. We're, we usually take two or three trips a year. At least one or two of them are abroad. We are definitely not traveling this year, that's for sure. I mean, even with vaccine rollout, which, you know, it, it's, it's going, but it's probably not going as fast enough. Um, you know, the, and, and different parts of the world have different issues as well. So um, we don't see that uh, in our immediate future maybe even not next year or maybe towards the end of next year for us. So we are, we are not in that 56%. What? I'm actually surprised. That's a high number, frankly. I got a flight planned to Europe in June, which I'm still planning. Of course, I've been moving around a little bit. What about you, Steve? I'll, I'll be on a plane as soon as I get both my shots. I, you know, this entire pandemic, I'm separated from my family who lives in Texas about 2,000 miles away. I haven't seen them since two Christmases ago. Um, as soon as I get that shot, I'm, I'm on a plane and I, I'm going. Yeah, and Texas, I'm sure your family tells you, Steve, different world down there as well. All right, let's move on. Uh, yeah, Topic exactly. number three, and that is the, the very different. Outside of the Northeast, things are very different. Golden Globes nominations are out, and during a year when we were all binging our way through lockdowns, the streamers all came out on top. Netflix crushing the competition, no surprise, picking up a grand total of 42 nominations across all categories, which make up 35% of 
of all nominations. Netflix, file pacing, HBO Max, Apple TV, and others. Julia Borston, uh, this is your world. Listen, here's the thing, and some of these shows are great. I've seen some of them, but Netflix had shows to show us. Production is all but shut down. I mean, how important was it that they just simply had a catalog of shows that they hadn't shown before? Well, look, most of the shows that we all watched this year were made long before this year. So I think that the content that we've been viewing this year really hasn't been impacted by those production shutdowns. And there have been plenty of productions that have gone up and running again. But Brian, what I think is so amazing about these Netflix numbers, I mean, they have more than double the number of nominations this year than they had last year. And that these are nominations across both film and TV. Part of that is that a lot of the films that were supposed to get distributed in theaters this year were delayed. So maybe there was less competition. But to me, this really speaks to the fact that Netflix is investing an estimated $17 billion in content last year. They are spending so much content on everyone, more than anyone. They are outspending and they have simply more content. Yeah. And we're starting to see that really play out in these kinds of awards races. Yeah, I'm kind of struggling for something to find. I mean, I'm basically been binge watching The Office on Peacock and and British soccer. Um, What do you guys, Julia? We'll go around the horn real quick, Julia. What what do you like right now? You're, this is your world. Well, I have to say, I'm going to point out some of the news services uh, on some of these streamers. Apple TV Plus got a number of nominations for Ted Lasso. That is a great feel-good show on Apple TV Plus. This is only Apple's second year in the game. I didn't see any nominations for Peacock, um, but it'll be interesting to see how all these new players start to get more attention. Yeah, we'll get in there. We just got to produce some shows, which is tough. I saw, I saw, I saw, uh, Steve, a show called The Flight Attendant, which I wanted to hate, but actually was just, was just good. I was just like just sitting on the couch just staring at the screen. It got some nominations also. Which is what you want, The Flight Attendant. What do you think, Steve? What do you like? I haven't seen The Flight Attendant, although my wife was obsessed with it. Uh, the Crown was the one I was happy to see. That w- This season of The Crown was about as perfect television as you could get. It was Sopranos-level good. And it's no shock that it that it swept up all those you know nominations. What? And it really, like Julia was saying, speaks to Netflix's ability to buy itself into these awards. It's amazing. Thank, you know what? Thank you, Steve. I actually forgot. I've never seen one Sopranos. Never. Not, I've never seen Breaking Bad what? or Sopranos. Now How I guess I got that? stuff to watch. Oh yeah, no! Sorry. You're missing at out, least Brian. Not, at least not leaving New. At least this not leaving New York till 2042. Apparently, acceptable. don't not get. Yeah. All right. Oh, let's, come on. Let's stick with. No, now I got something to watch. Let's get on like, me about like it. Let's stick with the, Netflix. Like the streaming. I liked a lot. There we go. Thank you. The streaming service is testing a new feature, Netflix launching a global test on Android devices that will allow subscribers to set a limit on their viewing period. So after 45 minutes, Ed, you're, you're binge, give us your show. So here's what Netflix is gonna do. You're sitting there, it's getting late, you're binge watching whatever show you're gonna name right now, and you can turn it off automatically so you don't either stay up till four in the morning like a ding dong, or you wake up and realize you just fell asleep in front of the TV and it's still running. This is a baffling feature to me because either either there's so many people falling asleep to Netflix and it's like not a good thing, or are, are you, are, is the idea that I'm, I'm supposed to fall asleep to Netflix? Is that where it is? I, I don't even know how long I'm supposed to watch a certain thing for necessarily, right? If you want to just cut it off at like, well, this episode and I'm done, fine. But it just, it seems like a, a bizarre feature. And I, I think, you know, what's Great and sort of weird about Netflix is that I think they try lots of different things all the time. They tr- they're testing things all the time. You know, the speed as well in terms of how things are uh, uh, fast, yeah. things are playing. 
they're also testing sort of a linear type uh, sense of it where something just auto plays and you're just sort of as soon as you you log into the system so at least that part's good i just i don't get this particular feature though oh yeah Ed, you wonder I we totally gotta go we'll hurt the parent yeah, you yeah, you got to tell. I, I just have to say, as a parent of young kids, this is how you negotiate with kids and say after 30 minutes, it's going to turn off. <laughs> Actually, you know what? With the kids that I can see that that not a bad, not a bad play. Certainly. But otherwise just, it plays forever. You know, is, but by the way, that's you do wonder, guys, we got to go. They're yelling at me to rap if it's going to hurt their numbers. Because maybe a lot of their numbers are people just leaving the TV on as it runs, and we don't know. We're going to find out, I guess. Great stuff, Julia, Steve, Ed. Appreciate it. Rapid fire. Out of the way. All right, still to come. It maybe is no surprise that Republicans are criticizing President Biden's nearly $2 trillion, $2 billion. No, $2 trillion. Guys, trillion with a T. COVID stimulus package is too big. We're going to dig into the numbers and break down the surprising benefits. NASDAQ up six-tenths of one percent, gaining a little momentum. We're back after this. A new report out underscores some of the Republicans' concerns that Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief idea is simply too large and takes on too much debt. Lon Moy joining us now with a closer look at that report and who would stand to get what under the current proposal. Lon. Well, Brian, Democrats designed the new COVID relief package to cast a wide net to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. But the nonpartisan Penn Wharton budget model found that means that a significant share of the benefits will go to high income households. Now, their model estimates that more than a third of families in the 95 to 99 percent of income would get thousands of dollars in direct relief. The projected average is $4,265, though that only represents a 0.5% increase in their after-tax income. And still, the lowest-income households would see a major boost as well. 100% of them are estimated to qualify for benefits, and their average amount would be $2,505, a whopping 50% increase in after-tax income. Now, the Penn Wharton model also found that most of those $1,400 checks, about 73% of the amount, would go to savings rather than spending. Now, the White House just a few moments ago called this analysis way out of line with other studies. And President Biden told Democrats today that he's unwilling to break his promise on the size of those checks. Brian. Elon Moy, Elon, thank you very much. And that wraps it up here for The Exchange. We will see you tomorrow the same time, same channel. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 